anybody off, but I'm going to continue the trend of using this uh, podium for our um, session this morning. So as Dave mentioned, uh, we want to continue the, um, the series of, of being a disciple of Jesus and making disciples of Jesus. And we've, you know, one of the things we've looked at is what does it mean to be a disciple? And in a nutshell, it is to be a follower of Jesus. And if you think about it, if somebody is following Jesus, meets the King of Kings, the King of Kings literally changes us from the inside out, changes our eternal destiny, fills us with, fills us with His Spirit, literally the same power that raised Him from the dead, it's only natural to think that that change would flow out and affect other people. And so that's what we want to, um, want to look at to the, um, today. And in, in looking at the idea of making disciples, um, it can seem big and scary and where do you start? And in a nutshell, I guess what I'd like for us to hear this morning is that it is just simply opening our life and our heart to share what Christ is doing. And so let's not, um, let's not complicate it or make it bigger than it is, but just simply, are we willing to open our life and our heart to share what Christ is doing? Francis Chan said that when it comes to a church, there has to be an inward focus because we are the body of Christ and we need to care for each other. But we also have the mission to share the gospel and to share the good news. And he, he, um, the example he uses is a, an airplane, and it, an airplane has two wings, and that in order to be balanced, you need to have both. And the more that I think about it, the more I think that that's true, that the church exists as a group of, of believers, and we are made, um, we're called into a family, we're called to build each other up, but we're also trusted to share that good news and if a church exists and is only inward focused, um, problems very soon emerge very quickly. If a church is only outward focused, problems emerge um, very quickly. So in order to be healthy, we have to have both. I'd like um, for you just to think a little bit. Um, and one thing I will say is that we're going to um, shifting gears and looking at making disciples. And there's a lot of aspects of this. Today is more centered on sharing with those that are not currently believers, a lot of discipleship is after somebody comes to faith, and those will be in other sermons. Um, but I'd like for you just to think a little bit, um, back on the last week of the last month, have you had the opportunity to talk about your faith with anybody in the last week? Have you had the opportunity to talk about following Jesus? How often do we pray for those that don't know the Lord? And I'm going to start, I'm going to make a lot of assumptions up front, and I'm going to tell you what they are. One, I'm going to assume that we all agree that sharing our faith is something God asks us to do. And I'm going to also make the assumption, too, that we are and want to do that. But I'm also going to make the assumption that if you're like me, there's a certain level of, of uncomfortableness and awkwardness and fear and like, ugh, like, not sure it always goes all that well, and, and maybe feeling a little bit ill-equipped in sharing our faith. So I'm going to start, and, and my prayer just is um, that through Scripture, God would equip us um, of how to, how to go about sharing our faith and, uh, and what that looks like. So I want to start just looking at, um, at Jesus' mission um, on earth, an example of sharing our faith, and then some Scriptures that will hopefully, hopefully equip us um, to share our faith. If you... Um, Right from the get-go in the Gospels, it's expected that we share our faith. Jesus says, follow me, and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. 
And um, if you think about the, the words that are used to describe God's kingdom, they're often, it's words um, that have, have the idea of growth and multiplication. It's just woven all through the New Testament. Um, and if you look at Acts, it was very clear. People were born again. They shared their faith. Churches started. Those churches planted other churches. And it was just a very active and growing, um, and a growing faith. David Platt said, clearly the overflow of the transformation in these disciples was multiplication through these disciples. So a changed life flowed out into, into multiplying. If you think about when the church began, there were, we know from Scripture there were 120 people in a room. And that was kind of, if you want to talk about numbers, and it's not all about numbers, but it started as 120 people. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, and 3,000 people are saved in one day. I don't know exactly how accurate this is or how, you know, what all was used to track this, but the estimate is that by 350 AD, there were 30 million Christians worldwide. So you go from 120, God multiplies that to 3,000, and then 30 million um, in about a 300-year span. So believers are expected to multiply. It's actually normal. It's what God wants us to do. Um, Just looking quickly at what Jesus said his mission was, and Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I'm very thankful that God came to call sinners to repentance, because that's me, and that's everyone here in this room. Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And I just, I love the, uh, the imagery here. Oh, the batteries may be dying, so I may need to walk over and flip this. But the, um, the imagery of seeking and saving those who are lost. Um, that was why Christ came. That was why he's here. Um, and I'll, just at the start, I'd like for us just to, um, to think a little bit about um, who Jesus says he is. He says he is the, he is the only way to the Father. And if we look around, I think it's easy to forget that everybody we meet is an eternal person. And in, in God's, God's economy, we're either in God's kingdom or we're not. And so I just want to read a few scriptures of what God says about, um, about people who are not saved. And I've, I just pulled some pictures in. I don't know these, these people, but just to give us, to put a face with this. This is everybody we meet. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So again, this is, just, this is God's word describing people who are, not, um, who are not born again and not part of his kingdom. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. How often do I think about this as I meet people and interact with people? Um, this is what God says about um, people outside of Christ. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So when we meet people who are not born again, they are simply in the domain of darkness and God would love to transfer them um, to the kingdom of his beloved son. 
Second Thessalonians, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. And this is true across the board, regardless of age, regardless of background, regardless of where we live. If we don't know the Lord, that's what, um, what God says. Out of Revelation, and if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And I just want to keep these things in mind as I relate to people, as I meet people, um, that this is what God says about people who are not have not experienced forgiveness through his son. All right, I want to look at a quick example of what, um, of what evangelism is or sharing our faith looks like. Um, I love this story. I can relate to a lot of it. Um, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Beth- Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law And also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So um, we have Philip who meets Jesus, and he just simply goes to a friend and says, hey, I've met the Messiah. And the first response is, are you kidding me? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? At this point, do you feel like Philip feels like like he has effectively shared his faith? Probably not. This is so like today. You know what, you share a little bit about Jesus and boom, you run into the, the prejudice and, and the objections and Nathaniel just says, you know what, come and find out. And I guess that's one of the things I want to keep in mind and encourage all of us. This is, this is sharing our faith. I've found a Savior, would you come and find out? And literally just introduce them to the Lord and the Lord can deal with all these objections. You know, he could have gotten into a whole argument about Nazareth and all of the... He could have tried to defend this. He didn't. He just said, come, come and find out. And so he comes and uh, Jesus talks about Nathanael a little bit. And by the end, um, in verse 49, Nathanael answered and said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And so when he personally met Jesus, um, it all changed and he confessed that Jesus was... Um, exactly who he said he was. He was the Messiah. All right, I want to look a little bit at Matthew 28, um, the command to share our faith, and then um, some things that hopefully will equip us to do so. Matthew 28, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. So Jesus just rose from the dead. The disciples gather at the mountain, and uh, some worship and some doubt. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So just, I mean, imagine the the death and resurrection of Jesus has just happened. And here they are, and they meet the risen Savior. And, And one of the first things he says, the first thing that's recorded is that, look, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. There is a brand, well, not a brand new, it's eternal, but a kingdom. Jesus just changed everything. He conquered death in the grave, and he says, all authority is mine in heaven and on earth. So if we're talking in the spiritual realm, physical realm, anywhere, all authority has been given unto me. And so if you're the disciple, what are you expecting him to say next? Great, you know what? He's probably going to introduce his kingdom. He's going to really turn things upside down here. He's, you know, everybody's going to know who he is. But he doesn't do what they expect, I don't believe. He goes on to say, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So instead of saying, you know what, I rose from the dead, Here, I'm going to share this, he says, actually, I'm going away, and I want you to share it. And it says that he ascended into heaven, and they, they watched him go. Now, is this, would this have confused you and scared you if you were in their shoes? I think so. I think so. Very much so. Anyway, so I just want to look at this. We, we hear it a lot. Um, let's, not uh, not, let's not overcomplicate what he's saying. Um, so the first thing he says, he says, go therefore and make disciples. Um, so he, start, he started by saying, look, all authority is mine. And so the next thing that he wants us to do is to go, to go and make disciples. And so going might mean moving around the world. Going might mean changing neighborhoods. It may not be that complicated, but going, if I said, we're going to play hide and go seek, and we're going to say one, two, three, go, all that going would mean is that you would start doing something. And so going may or may not move, mean moving, but it does mean um, to, to pursue and to, to move in with the message. So he says, I have all authority. I want you to go, and I want you to make disciples of all nations, make followers, and then to baptize them. So we're, we're commanded to go, we're commanded to make disciples, and we're commanded to baptize. And, and baptize would just be a radical or a way of showing a radical change has taken place, and I'm now um, following Jesus. So he says we're to go, we're to make disciples, we're to baptize, and then he says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So sharing our faith is far beyond just a one-time introduction to Jesus. He's saying, when you, when you have the idea of teaching to observe all things, that's years, that's, that's a lifetime. And so that, that talks about both introducing people to Jesus, helping bringing them to faith, walking with them for years. It sounds a whole lot like church, doesn't it? There are, to be, there are to be believers of all different ages and maturity levels um, that are walking with the Lord. So we are to go and to teach, um, to make, to baptize, and then um, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And in the end, he says, and behold, I am with you always. So the promise is that he's with us in this. So Jesus says, yes, I'm leaving. I have all authority, but I'm with you wherever you go. So whenever you talk about Jesus, it's helpful for me to remember, I'm not talking about Jesus who's somewhere else. Jesus is literally with me, and I'm talking about him, and he is helping me share. And I'm giving somebody an introduction to Jesus who is actually right there while the introduction is happening. So Jesus is, is literally with us. And there are some who would say, and I think there's a lot of truth in this, if we're struggling to feel the presence of God, one way to address that is to share about him. He promises he's with us. And if we are willing to share, um, we will experience that. There's some debate, or at least, you know, who is this for? Is Jesus addressing the disciples? Was this just for them, or is this for everybody? And I think he answers it loud and clear at the very end. He says, I'm with you to the end of the age. He doesn't say, I'm with you wherever you go. I'm with you in, in Jerusalem. I'm with you here. But he says, I'm with you to the end of the age. So I think he's making it clear that all disciples of all times, wherever we go, um, he's, he will be with us to the end of the age. So Christ promises us his very presence as we, as we share about him. All right, I want to look at just some scriptures that hopefully can help us feel equipped or be equipped to do this. Um, so yes, he gave the disciples this command, 
but it was very important what he said next. Um, they were asking him, look, are you going to restore the, the kingdom now? In verse 8 in Acts 1, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So there's a lot that we could look at about um, how the gospel was going to spread and how all of this happened. But the important thing is, he says, you're going to receive power. And it is, you'll hear Wayne talk about this, and it, the word is literally dynamite power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you are going to be my witnesses. And witness literally just means it is a record. It is a witness as in a courtroom, and it means martyr. So Jesus is saying, you're going to be my witness, and the power to do it comes from the Holy Spirit. So I just want to encourage us this morning that, you know what, we don't feel equipped, but God actually has given us his Holy Spirit and the power to share him. And so let's, let's step into that and not be, not be scared of that. You are my witnesses, and it's going to happen in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to all the earth. So you are equipped with the Holy Spirit of God to share about Jesus. All right, and I'll look at a few other uh, verses yet, a few other passages, just thinking about um, what does it mean to share our faith. 2 Corinthians 5, <clears throat> there's a lot of concepts that just help me um, in these verses. Starting in verse 9, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. So verse 11 talks about knowing the fear of the Lord. We persuade others, and obviously we can't it's not up to us to save other people, but um, persuade is just is to share and to, um, to lay out and to strongly urge somebody. And the fear of the Lord compels us to do that. Verse 13, for we are besides ourselves, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So he's talking about, first of all, the fear of God moves us, but the love of God controls us. And that word actually is arrests us. And if we think about God's love for us, that he literally voluntarily died for us, that love can arrest us in, in sharing about him. Then he goes on to say, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And we all, we all know this verse, and, and this is a verse that we probably go back to quite often. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So all of this, this new work in us, is, it's from God, and we can't take any credit. And, God, and it goes on to say that Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So as we think about being disciples of Christ, do you think about it that Christ has literally given you the ministry of reconciliation and of, of just serving other people with, um, with that ministry of reconciliation? 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So not only does he give us the ministry of reconciliation, but he literally trusts us with the message. So Christ said, I'm leaving, I'm going to give you power, and I'm going to come and I'm going to give this message to you, and I'm going to trust you to share it. And he trusts that, trusts us with this message. And then he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, and God actually makes his appeal through us. So God appoints us as an ambassador and appeals to um, non-believers through us. Obviously, an ambassador is somebody who goes to another country and represents their king and their kingdom. And so God picks chooses and works in believers, go be my ambassador and I'm going to trust you with this message. Does this change anything for you if you see yourself as somebody who has been positioned by God to share a message? Literally positioned um, all around DC, all around Catlett, that God has positioned and trusted us with a message that we are to share. And he says, in the end, it's like God makes his appeal through us, and then he does that. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And hopefully our lives and our words speak that, that we're just offering that to people and asking that they be reconciled to God. And then another verse that we often quote, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So when it comes to sharing our faith, I just want to, I want to know that Christ has trusted me with the ministry and the message of reconciliation. He's called me as an ambassador, and he said, go share it, and I'm with you, and you can share it in my power. All right, I'd like to look at Luke 10. Um, when I had preached about the cost of being a disciple, um, that happened right before this, and I wanted to keep going in this, but obviously didn't on that topic. But um, Luke 10, right after he says, Following me is going to cost you everything. He sends out 72 disciples, and I think we can learn a lot from this. Some of what I'm going to share, I read, um, I read a book uh, over the weekend called The Power of the 72, and I thought it was just a great, um, just I had a lot of good things about how to share Christ and just practically what this looks like. So I want to walk through Luke 10 a little bit yet, and hopefully we can learn some things about sharing Christ. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them one ahead of him, two by two, into every town and placed them and placed where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into, this har- into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So he says, you know what? Pray. And he starts with prayer. I want you to, to go and I want you to pray. And as we think about sharing Christ, I think that is, for me, one of the huge things is that it, so much of it comes back to prayer. But he doesn't actually even pray for the disciples, and he doesn't even pray to the people he's talking, they're going to talk to. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers, because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And I, I mean, I have a question. When you look around at our culture, is this how you look at it? that there really is a plentiful harvest of people that God is working in and that God would love to have more people to share Jesus with them. It's easy for me to assume that, no, like people are closed and there's not a lot of harvest. But God says, you know what? The harvest is plentiful. I'm working. Um, Pray 
that, that God sends people out. And then he says, go your way. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Does it feel scary to share your faith? If it does, there's a good reason. This is spiritual warfare. God literally says, I'm sending you out like a lamb to wolves. And, and that's, that is an accurate description of what happens when we engage the enemy and share our faith. However, God's protection is there. I think it's important that I remember that, yes, it's spiritual warfare, but God said all authority is his. No matter what I face, all authority is Jesus. It belongs to Jesus. So if you feel spiritual warfare and if you feel fear, it's natural because it is. And I think we just need to accept this, that God has sent us out and there we're going out um, and there's an enemy, an enemy and Satan does not like um, what we're doing. All right, going on, he says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandal, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And again, we could go into all kinds of things um, related to this. But one of the things that I find interesting, very simple and very much like today, he says, you know what, find a house, go in and eat with those people and talk to them. And so I would offer to you that one of the most natural things that we could do to share Jesus is eat with people, have them to our house. Um, he sent them to, this, to these towns and he said, sit down, eat with them and share about the kingdom of God. And so... Let's, let's do that. Um, let's not overcomplicate it. Um, then in verse 9, he says, Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. And so sometimes we wonder when it comes to sharing our faith, you know what, should we focus on meeting physical needs and, and just serve physical needs and then eventually the door opens to share our faith? Or should we focus on sharing our faith and then like secondarily is to meet physical needs? And I think that verse uh, 9 would tell us, you know what, do both. Serving physical needs opens the door to share the gospel, but we have to share the gospel. Um, sometimes it's easy to think that, well, my life is the gospel. Or that, you know, people can just observe me and hear the gospel. But we are actually called to, to put words to it. It has to be both. And if you think about it, there are people right now around the globe giving their life to share the gospel at the same time that I'm tempted to say, you know what, my life can speak on its own. And it doesn't, somehow it doesn't make sense. I was reading um, a book by David Platt, and he said literally he was in a Muslim country, and when there were converts, the pastor would say, I would like you to list 10 of your friends that are not believers that are the least likely to kill you. And that's where I want you to start evangelizing. I want you to list 10 people who are least likely to kill you and start with them. And so somehow, I think the, our life has to match our message, but believing that our life is the message is not, it's just not true. It's keeping us silent where we shouldn't be. So they, they were called to heal the sick and to, and to share in word the kingdom of God had come near to them. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your, our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, we know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on, the day, on that day for Sodom than for that town. He goes on to pronounce judgment on some cities that have rejected him. Um, and I'm going to skip over reading that. 
And one of the things just to realize here is not everybody is going to respond. We are going to be rejected. They, were, they, they expected to be rejected, and we, um, we likely will too. So let's not take that, um, let's not take that too personally. Um, when people reject the message of the gospel, there's a lot of pressure right now um, to be tolerant. And at least one of the, the things that just kind of captures that for me is the coexist bumper stickers. You see these coexist with all kinds of different symbols. Um, there's pressure to be tolerant and to not push our view. And in fact, one of the things that surprised me in studying for this is Barna did a survey of practicing Christians and asked if it was, um, the question was this, is it wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes to convert them? So he asked Christians only if it is wrong. And the kind of shocking thing is that 47% of millennials came back and said, yes, it is wrong. And, um, and then if you go through generations, it declined a little bit, but it wasn't, it wasn't as low as you might think. All, all that I'm saying is there's tons of pressure to not push your faith on other people. And, and that, I think, is just one of the things that Satan is using to try to keep us, um, to keep us quiet. Verse 16, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So again, as you share Jesus, um, you can relax. They're responding to Jesus who is with you. And if they reject the message, they're rejecting him. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So they came back, and they were excited, saying, look, even the demons obey your name. And Jesus said, and I, we don't fully understand this, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Whatever happened, whatever these disciples had done, it had significant spiritual impact, and Satan was brought down. Satan's kingdom suffered a blow. And so whenever we go out and whenever we share our faith, um, that is true, that Satan's kingdom is dealt a blow. And then they came back rejoicing, and again, Jesus is reminding them all authority is his, and he said, you know, don't rejoice in that. Actually rejoice in your relationship with me. Rejoice in your relationship with me, and then sharing about me will flow out of that. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Focus on the relationship, and then the sharing can flow um, from that standpoint. I'm going to skip over some of this uh, in verse 22. Again, he just talks about that the only way a person responds is if the Son and the Father reveal um, who they are to him. So I do want to encourage you, as you share Jesus, um, it is the work of God that reveals who Jesus is. It is the work of God that opens somebody's heart. And so he calls us to be his messenger, and the Holy Spirit draws, the Holy Spirit convicts. Those things are not up to us. And so I think in a lot of ways we can relax in the power of Christ and share his message, and he's the one that's doing the work um, as we share Jesus. Um, thinking also about sharing this, uh, this is the last scripture we're going to look at, Second Peter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we are called, um, we're called out of darkness, we're called into his marvelous light, and the thing we're called to proclaim is the excellencies of God. None of this is about us. We're, we're to proclaim who God is. And the early church, when they talked about witnessing, the word that they actually used was, was simply proclaim. That all we're doing is just proclaiming um, God's goodness and God's excellency. So when you think about um, sharing Christ, it's easy to think about people who have dramatic conversions or, you know, before Jesus, I was this, and now I'm this. And the one of the things I have to remind myself is there's not degrees of lostness. We're all equally lost, and every conversion is a miracle. Literally every, every conversion, regardless of your background, is a miracle and something that God does. And so don't hesitate to talk about it. Another concept that I um, ran across from Ron Hutchcraft that I thought was very helpful when it comes to, well, how do I share my faith? What do I talk about? What should my testimony be? He said, um, to make a list, how has my relationship with Jesus and what he did for me on the cross made a difference in, and then fill in the blank, my lonely time, my disappointments in life, um, what kind of a marriage partner I am, what kind of a parent I am, Think about what difference Jesus has made, and you can gladly share that with people um, at any time. So one of the things I hope you hear me saying is that um, evangelism is not, uh, it's not something that we go do. I mean, we do have to, but it's not, it's not this separate compartment of our life that we have to somehow like squeeze and fit into our busy life. That evangelism flows out of a relationship with Christ, and we're called to share Jesus all the time and everywhere we go. Um, and it's easy to think, well, I don't have my act together, or I don't feel prepared, or, you know, this morning, thinking about all the things that we're going through. Like, how can I share Jesus when I'm dealing with, you know, X, whatever it is? And I just want to say that sharing Jesus. Um, from a point of weakness is not a bad thing. In fact, it's probably a good thing that if Jesus meets us in our weakness, um, then we're in a position to pass that on. And so let's just make this a part of our life and a part of, of everything that we do. So where do you start? Where do you start sharing Jesus? And one thing, again, there's one thing I want to remind you of, something I read in the news this week, is Americans are lonely people. Americans are very lonely people. In the survey, nearly half of Americans said that sometimes or always they feel alone. And actually, one out of five said they have never felt close to a single person. So think about that. As we walk around, half the people you meet are going to feel lonely, and one out of five say they've never felt close to anyone in their life. And the crazy thing is that as social media goes up, usage goes up, the feelings of loneliness also rise. So maybe people are not open to hearing about the gospel right away, but people are very lonely. And what if, what if we just simply invited them into our life? What if we invited them into our homes? You know, by thinking globally here, almost all of us live in some of the nicest homes of, you know, more than 50% of the world's population. 
What if? What if lonely people could hang out in our homes, sit at our, at our tables, come to our small groups, and get to know a network of Christians? What if? What do you think God would do? And I said that it's not something that we add to a busy life, but what if, if sharing the gospel was a priority that a lot of activities um, revolved around? So I see loneliness as one of the biggest opportunities that we have to share the gospel today. Um, almost everybody is lonely. Um, thinking about wrapping all this up, and I'm sorry I'm after 12. I do not like to do that, um, but I am today. As I think about um, just the Great Commission, and, and it's easy to, to, think about, um, to think about people in all kinds of different classes and, and groups, but God literally says there are those that are apart from him, and then there's him. And all of us started over here. All of us were apart from God. We were dead. We were enemies of Christ. And the only reason that God reconciled us or brought us to himself is because Jesus, Jesus came and died, and he calls us, calls us to himself. And so now that we're saved, how do we look at those that are not saved? And I think that Jesus' heart is for them, and he asks us to go. And I don't know what go looks like to you, but somehow it is going towards and moving towards people that don't know him and doing anything we can to share what Christ is doing and just introducing the gospel, doing what Philip did, saying, I've found the Savior. Would you want to come meet him? And just, um, it's easy to think in, the, you know, in our culture, like it's us versus them and all of these negative things that are happening. We are them. We've just been saved only through what Jesus did. And so can we move towards them and just start including them in our life and just share Jesus and what he's done? Um, to close, I'd like us just to stand. Um, and if you need to go, it's fine because I'm already after 12. But if you have a little bit of time, um, would you get in groups of two or three, men with men and ladies with ladies, and... Um, if there's somebody that comes to mind that doesn't know the Lord, would you pray for them? And would you also ask God um, to work through you and just give you boldness and equip you in sharing, um, in sharing your faith? Um, so that's just find, uh, find ladies, find guys, and pray for people that don't know the Lord and pray for ourselves. Thank you.